0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name's Tom. If I haven't met you yet, uh, I'd love to meet you. Um, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant as a lead pastor. Uh, I'm on eldership with Herrick and his wife, Heather, and my wife, Ebony, here. Um, Really quickly, today, after gathering, um, today actually, uh, we do these things called Second Sunday Lunches. Um, So the second Sunday of every month, uh, we just kind of Kind of converge on Vail headquarters in Temecula off of Highway 79. There's a bunch of places to eat kind of in and around the area, but it's this open space where we can all just kind of come together, have lunch together, chill out. Um, It's a really good opportunity if you're newer, you can meet some people. Um, I'd love to get time with you. Herrick would love to get time with you. It's like kind of a no pressure, just lunch hang. Okay, so I want to invite you out to that. That's today, right after gathering. We're going to kind of set up, or we're going to kind of tear everything down and then head over there. Um, Grab food wherever you want, and we'll converge on Vail Headquarters. I'll be there. My family will be there. Eric will be there. Heather will be there. Many of the church members will be there. Would love to personally invite you out. Like I said, no obligation or anything, but it's just a time for us to connect. So second Sunday lunch today. Uh, This morning, uh, we're going to talk about kind of Christmas, but how many of you are ready for Christmas? Raise your hand if you are. Everyone's hand just went down. Uh, Okay, so if you're anything like me, I feel like, what year is it? 2018. I feel like it's 2009. Like 2018 has like flown by. Every year I get older, I feel like time just starts to speed up and speed up. Um, So it's kind of interesting for me because I'm like, this year's almost over. Like it's December. Christmas isn't two weeks. Like what? Three three weeks away or whatever it is. Uh, So yeah, how many of you are ready for Christmas? Nobody. Well, a couple of you. Great. Um, Here's the thing about Christmas. Like In my experience, um, most, not all, but most people fall into two kind of categories when it comes to the Christmas season, okay? The first category would be busyness. Like there's something about this season where you just go 100 miles an hour, like events and uh, planning and coordinating and shopping and decorating and all this stuff, right? Like just Anybody identify with that? This idea of like, I just feel like I'm busier than normal and I'm going 100 miles an hour. Maybe it's work, whatever it is for you, but I just feel like there's this busyness. One of two categories, right? Busyness. The second one, the second one's suffering. It's pain. Christmas uh, time can be a painful reminder of what's not the same. like this idea of who's no longer at the dinner table, of what you once had that you've lost, or that like annoying reminder that you're single or that you're lonely. The holiday season, the Christmas season has this way of kind of causing the pain and the suffering in our life to bubble up. And it's funny because what does the song say? You know, the famous song, it's the most wonderful time of the year but I think oftentimes it's the most painful time of the year or it's the most busy time of the year. Um, I I think about like the house I grew up in. It's interesting. Uh, I I, I grew up in a household of four, my mom, my dad, and my brother, all of whom are in this room, I believe right now. Uh, And my household was interesting because (laughs) there was like rarely a peaceful moment and, and here's what I mean by that. Not like because there was a ton of conflict or anything. I mean, every family has conflict, but that's not what I'm getting at. Uh, the reality of the lack of peace uh, in our conflict was because it was rather noisy. Um, I'll, I'll explain why. My brother's a musician. You saw him, he playing guitar. My dad's a musician. You saw him playing bass. Um, I'm kind of a musician. I play a little guitar too, but there is a season of life in our household. So I want you to kind of imagine this to where my brother would be in his room and he would be kind of playing his guitar, and if you play guitar, you, you have to turn it up. Like it's just if it's if it's low, it just doesn't work, and it feels lifeless. And so Mark would be up there, and 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 he you know he'd be playing his guitar loud. And Mark's a gifted musician. And my dad would be downstairs in kind of his office, like music room area, and he'd be doing his thing, playing his guitar, playing his bass, and like and and then I would be in my room playing my guitar, doing my thing, and there would be this like. <laughs> This elevated volume and this like cornucopia of noise that would just kind of flutter house. Has anybody ever walked into a guitar center? <laughs> then you kind of know what I'm talking about. It's this like chaos. It's like some dude over there is playing something he can't play. Some guy over here is showing off what he can do. And it's just this, like, just this cluster of noise coming from everywhere. And that was just kind of the, the reality of my household for many years. Like my mom had to deal with quite a bit of noise all the time. So good luck being able to sit down and watch TV. Not in my house. Good luck like trying to have like, a peaceful moment to read a book. There's just, it's not going to happen. Like, my house was, I mean, from all corners of the house, it was just filled with noise. So no matter what you tried to do in my house, oftentimes it was overpowered. It was drowned out with the sound of, like, rock music and guitars and noise. And here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, we know that Christmas is all about Jesus. Like, we know that, right? But the trouble is, oftentimes the busyness or the suffering of the Christmas season tends to be louder. And it can be so loud at times that it even drowns out Jesus. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start a, a short kind of Christmas series. It's going to be two weeks, this week and next week. You can throw it up there, Thad. We're calling this series Joy to the World. Um, the cliche, it's not cliche, it's like I, I came up with this title myself, I don't know if you've heard this before, but, but no, but seriously, like the joy to the world, we're calling this series that, right? And the series is designed to help each of us experience joy, not just theoretically, but actually experience joy in a season that oftentimes the loudest things that we hear, the things that, that, that are kind of overpowering to us is the busyness of this season or the pain and the suffering that many of us go through in this season, <clears throat> the series is designed to help us experience joy. And not just experience joy, but I, I think that like, God actually intends for us to experience actual joy during this Christmas season. So, if you identify with the busyness of the Christmas season, or if you identify with the suffering, here's the cool thing, legitimately, the Bible tells us that Christmas can provide an overpowering joy. A stronger joy. Like a joy that's louder than busyness or even suffering. Okay? And we're kind of climaxing this series in a couple weeks with our Christmas party. Like, we're not going to be, I Eric mean, with you guys, we're not going to be here that Sunday morning. We're going to wait till the afternoon, come together and party. We're going to celebrate. Um, and here's the thing the goal for this party, it's not just like, oh, we've got to figure out something to do for Christmas. What do we want to do? Let's have a Christmas party. Cool. No, no, no. Like, there's intentionality behind this. Hear me say this. The goal of our Christmas party is that we would all experience joy legitimately, like that we would actually be able to give ourselves over to this idea of celebrating, not just going through the motions, but at a heart level, celebrating. We talk about this quite often, but like, when was the last time you actually celebrated? Like, not just, like, went through the motions of things. Yesterday was my brother's birthday. We got to celebrate him yesterday. And I found myself throughout the day just, like, stopping myself and being like, actually enjoy your brother today. Like, stop and celebrate him and the gift that he is, his life. When was the last time you genuinely didn't just, like, fulfill the calendar obligation, but you actually gave your heart over, over to celebrating something? We need to be a people that do that. As followers of Jesus, we have more to celebrate than anybody else in the entire planet, okay? That's what our Christmas, uh, our Christmas party is for, is we want to celebrate. We want to give ourselves over to celebration, okay? So this morning, joy to the world. Go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 to start off with. Genesis chapter 3. We'll have words on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally fine. Um, before I jump in, I'm going to pray for us, okay? You can join me. Father, thank you for your love this morning. Um, Thank you for the specifics of your love, that you are kind, even when I'm not. And you are patient with me, even when I'm impatient with others. And you are faithful to me, You are gracious and forgiving and merciful. Um, Who you are is is spectacular, God. Our prayer this morning is that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would teach us more about joy, um, more about how you'd actually desire for us to experience joy. Um, My my desire this morning is I really want to serve these people. I want to love them. I want to honor them. Uh, So please, like, help me to do that. Help me not to get in the way. I love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Okay, so really quick. For the Christmas season to make sense, um, a lot of this stuff you'll have have heard before when we talk about Christmas, you know, Um, but I think it's important. For Christmas to make sense, we have to start in the very beginning. Okay, that's why we're in the book of Genesis. Genesis, the word Genesis, it means beginning, okay? So before I jump in, I want to review really quickly. This is stuff that most, if you've been around the church any length of time, this will be familiar to you, okay? But the Bible starts as this grand narrative, okay? It tells us about what God is like, who he is and what he's like and what he's done, okay? And the, and, and the Bible starts off in the book of Genesis, and, and God says, it starts with him creating, right? He creates with his words, it's pretty powerful. God says something and it happens, okay? And you'll know this, right? Like God says, let there be light. And, and he separates the light from the darkness, right? The day from the night. And then, and then God creates the heavens and the earth and he creates the plants and, and the stars and the sun and the moon and animals. And then he comes and he creates man and woman. And it's all good. Everything's perfect, right? And he says, be fruitful and multiply. He gives them a command. Be fruitful and multiply. He says, subdue the earth, fill it, rule it, as, as ambassadors of God, and reflecting what he's like to creation, right? Rule the earth. And you have, picture this. I mean, you have Adam and Eve, right? The first people. They're in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with each other. It's beautiful, okay? Nothing is wrong. And then, but God gives them another command. He says, like, have a blast, okay? I mean, you can picture you have two adults. Um, they are not clothed. God says, be fruitful and multiply, He says, have fun, okay? Enjoy this. But he also says another thing. He says, hey, there's that tree over there. Like, all this, enjoy it, but just don't eat from that tree. Okay, don't eat from that tree, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then what happens? You know the story, right? Satan comes along in the form of the serpent, right? And he deceives Adam and Eve. And they believe him. And sin and death and brokenness, it, it enters the world because they rejected God. Like they believed Satan's lie other than, instead of God. They, they reject God and they disobey him and they eat from the tree and they sin and then everything changes, right? Sin, brokenness, death, it's now like a part of creation. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Things aren't the way that God designed for them to be. Things aren't the way that we want them to be. They introduce sin and death into the creation and nothing is the same. And then we pick up here in Genesis chapter three, Okay. Genesis chapter 3, God says something profound to Satan, to the enemy, okay? Read this. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read verse 15, okay? I'm reading out of the ESV here. God says this to Satan. He says, I, God, will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Um. Oftentimes, if I'm going to study, I usually will study out of the ESV because I think it's the, I think it's the most helpful translation. Um, it's not my favorite translation to read for like devotional, um, like if I'm just like wanting to encounter God. But I think for study, it's the best. But I gotta say, I think the ESV gets this wrong. Um, not wrong, but just not as helpful. The NIV says this: um, He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Um. The ESV translated the word bruise. Uh, it's basically, it, it makes sense because it's this idea of like it's a repeated striking motion. Okay, so if you ever like have somebody like punch you in the shoulder a bunch of times, you get a bruise, it's that kind of idea, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than just a repeated striking motion because what it says here is you have like, <clears throat> um, you have the offspring of Eve who's, gonna cr- who's basically going to like uh, m- uh, do blows to the, the serpent's head okay, versus blows to his heel. Now, get the picture. You have basically crushing the head, okay? So yes, the heel gets, gets injured, but the head gets crushed. I think the NIV has it better, right? But here's the thing. The reason I read this to you is because it's one of the most important verses in all of, all of the Bible. In this verse, God makes a beautiful promise, Let me read you a quote here from this theologian. His name is Andreas Kostenberger. He says this. Listen up. Quote, In the early days of humankind, when the first people rejected God's rule and things went radically wrong, the Bible records a somewhat enigmatic promise. While a bit strange and enigmatic, this prophecy in essence declares that one day a descendant of the woman, that is a human being, will crush the head of the serpent, Satan. Within the course of one chapter, the world has gone from beautiful, orderly, and joyful to marred, cursed, and sorrowful. Genesis 3 ends with the world dark and broken and with God bearing his image bearers and representatives from access to the tree of life. At this point, the reader desperately needs a piece of good news, and God does not disappoint. While the serpent and humanity will continue their conflict, listen to this, one day a human being, an offspring of the woman, will at great cost to himself, the bruising of his heel, crush the serpent's head. So what I want you to see here is that in the very beginning of the Bible, right after things become the way they're not supposed to be, right after sin, God makes a promise. Okay, so here's what we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes, write these down. We're going to talk about two things, very simply. What is the promise, and how can it bring us joy? Okay, if we're talking about joy to the world, what is the promise, and how can this promise bring us joy? Okay, so let's jump in here. What is the promise? God basically promises a Savior. You guys know this, most of you, right? Christmas is about Jesus, all this, right? God promises that a Savior is coming. This is the Messiah. If you've heard the word Messiah, you know it's this idea of the Uh, of the people of the Savior of the people of God, the promised one, the Messiah, okay? Now, obviously, most of us, we know that this is Jesus, okay? We're Western people, we're somewhat familiar with Christianity, we know that Jesus is the quote-unquote Messiah, right? But there's something really important that we need to understand here, okay? Stay with me. There's something really, really important here. You see, like thousands of years thousands of years, generation after generation, the people of God didn't know. Like, they didn't know the Messiah was. They had no idea. I'm, they're anticipating. God said it was going to happen in Genesis 3, and they're waiting. Who's this? Who, when is our deliverer coming? When is the person who's going to make all things right coming, right? They're anticipating the Messiah, okay? And in the midst of that, they're living in a world that we all know isn't the way it's supposed to be. They're living in a world filled with sin, not just their own sin, but the sins of others and how that affects us. they living in a world of brokenness. they living in a world full of death. Like, we know just as well as they did that sin, Satan, and brokenness. Like, it's awful. It's awful. When is their Savior coming? They're waiting, okay? Um, question for you. Who here enjoys to wait? <laughs> Nobody. I wonder why that is, man. Um, One of the things about my house, my household, is uh, I live with three ladies, okay? You guys know my wife, Ebony. We have two daughters. I love them dearly, Amelia and Vivian. I really hit the jackpot with my girls, all three of them. I love them. Um, I just, nothing matters more to me. Um, Like Jesus, and then my wife, my kids, I just, I love them so much. But I'm completely outnumbered. Okay, uh, I'm completely outnumbered, and basically, what that means for me in my context is I spend a lot of time waiting. Okay, I spend quite a bit of time waiting. Um, and one of the things about me that I'm trying to grow in is I tend to be like a, a, I tend to be a punctual person. You know, like if I'm late to something, like it bothers me. Um, I'm growing in this area, but uh, it, it does it like it really bothers me. Like the it, it was bad. Like when me and Ebony were dating, like we like go to the movies, and this is, you can make fun of me all you want, but this is the reality of where I was at in that season of life. We'd go to the movies, and if we weren't sitting in our seat before the preview started, like it was ruined for me. I was like, why are we even going? We missed it. Like, we're not there on time. Like, the movie started at 7 o'clock. We have to be seated there at 6.59 at the very latest. And then I'm just anxious and frustrated and upset. Um. (laughs) And that's just kind of the way I've been. And like I said, I've I've grown in that area. But with my girls, Ebony included, time's more of like a concept. (laughs) It's more of like an idea. Um, And because of that, like, I often find myself waiting, um, whether it's going to something or whatever, right? And and I hate waiting. I hate it. Um, Guys, here's the thing, though. My hatred for waiting on my family, waiting for them, it reveals way more about me than it does about my ladies. Way more about me. Um, it shows just how much I lack this thing called patience. Um, anybody ever had like their check engine light come on in their car? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, like the indicators in your car that tells you something's wrong. The check engine light's on in one of our cars. We have to get this taken care of. But either way, uh, what happens? The light comes on, and it tells you when something's wrong, right? You want to know the really sobering thing about being impatient? It's basically a check engine light that tells you you're being a control freak. Impatience, it, it reveals how much we worship, ascribe worth to controlling things. And at times, like, I'll be honest, that's a struggle for me, man. Like, I trust me being in control way more than I trust God being in control, let alone other people. My, my, my punctual, quote-unquote, gift, no, man. Like, honestly, I struggle with impatience. What about you? Is that something maybe you have a hard time with? Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're actually in a season of waiting, you're in a season for waiting for something to change and you're starting to grow just a little bit impatient. The people of God were waiting a really long time. And it it wasn't like they were waiting like a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Like, guys, they waited for the promised one, the promised Messiah for generations. Okay, what do we have? Max three generations represented in the room? Like these people, they waited generation after generation, centuries they're waiting, anticipating, okay? And if you know the story of God, right, like if the story unfolds, right, you fast forward to Genesis chapter 12. Okay, God begins to reveal more about his promise. He begins, he begins to reveal more, more about his plan, more about his promise. Um, he sets apart Abraham. You guys probably know this story, right? He sets apart Abraham. He says, I'm going I'm to, through your lineage, through your offspring, through your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world, okay? He sets apart Abraham, and this promise of God gets more specific, right? He says that the promised savior that we read about in Genesis chapter three will be one of Abraham's descendants. But here's the thing, you guys probably know the story. Abraham's super old, okay? Him and his wife, Sarah, they're like, they're way beyond childbearing years, okay? So what do they do? They take matters into their own hands. You ever do this when you're waiting? They take matters into their own hands. Despite God's promise, they assume control. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, he has Abraham sleep with her servant, Hagar. And then, you know, she has a son, Ishmael. And Ishmael, he's Abraham's son. He's Abraham's descendant, yes, but not through his wife, Sarah. God made a promise. God made a promise, and what does God do? He intervenes, and Sarah becomes pregnant. She gives birth to Isaac at 90 years old. Like, you can argue with me if you want. That's a miracle. Like, 90 years old, she bears a child, okay? Isaac grows up, has a son, Jacob. Jacob, obviously, he's the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel. You guys know the people of Israel? Jacob's 12 sons are the patriarchs of those 12 tribes of Israel, all the Jews, Okay, those are the descendants, right? So here, for the sake of time, here's the picture that I want to paint for you, okay? The people of God are waiting. Are you following me? They're waiting. Okay, they're waiting for the promised Messiah to save them from Satan, from sin, from death, and throughout the generations, okay? As time passes, God reveals more about his promise, and he does it through prophecy. Okay, when when I use the word prophecy, prophecy is God speaking through people. Declaring things through people, okay? Now, uh, there's over 400 prophecies about the promised Messiah from Genesis chapter 3. There's over 400 of these prophecies in the Old Testament. Like, these prophecies, they reveal more details about this promised one. Let me read you a few of them, okay? Like I said, there's 400. I'm going to read you 14 really quick, okay? Okay? Uh, prophesied that the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. We talked about that. A descendant of Jacob. Uh, we talked about that. A descendant of King David, okay? You can see God's narrowing things down to this one that people, the people of God, are an- they're, they're waiting for, they're anticipating, okay? A uh, descendant through David. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. That's a real place. I'm actually going to be there in January. Born in this place called Bethlehem. Called a Nazarene means that he was from Nazareth. Okay, this is like hundreds of years, generations before Jesus. Right? Uh, prophesied that he would be a prophet like Moses. They would come riding on a donkey. That he would perform signs of healing. He would be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. That he would be a righteous sufferer. That he would be pierced. That he would be the Passover lamb. That he would be resurrected from the dead. It's getting pretty specific. I just read you fourteen. There's four hundred. Over 400, okay? So, again, picture this. Generation after generation. That means people lived and died and didn't know what was going to happen with with the Messiah, with their promised Savior, other than a couple prophecies. Generation after generation waiting. When is this Messiah coming? We're in bondage. We're struggling. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. (laughs) Amen, sister. Do you guys ever find yourself like fed up with the brokenness of the world? Like, I mean, honestly. Like you read the news maybe and you're like, I'm over this. This is ridiculous. Racism, poverty, injustice. I want to be careful. I know there's kids in the room. I love that there are kids in the room, by the way, guys. Don't ever feel weird about this, okay? But seriously, do you ever find yourself just fed up disease, death, abuse, Like, just, this is, I'm over this. You ever get fed up with your own brokenness? Like, earlier this this week, I was like, guys, I had bitterness towards Eb. Like, I was bitter towards her. And, like, it, it lingered throughout the whole day. Like, guys, that violates what a husband is. Like, God's called me to love her and serve her Like to delight in her the way that he does, and in my pride, like I'm bitter towards my bride. Like I'm over my own brokenness. It's not just the sins of the world. It's not just the brokenness of the world that I'm like. This is I'm stop. It's even in my own heart too, and I see it. I'm like I don't want things to be this way anymore. I'm over it. Thousands of years. The people of God are waiting for this promised one who can fix the brokenness. Okay, my second and last point here. How can this promise bring us joy? How can this promise of a Messiah bring us joy? Well, uh, again, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that it, it comes to an end, right? The Old Testament ends and this promise is unfulfilled. And then... On the very first page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Very first verse of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. First verse. And then after that verse, it goes through 16 verses, and it's just his genealogy. It's literally like Jesus' family tree. And it proves that he's a descendant of King David and he's a descendant of Abraham. Jesus fits the descendant prophecies perfectly. And then Matthew goes on in chapter, chapter 1 and uh, verse 18, after the, the genealogy. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, so before they became together, when it says before they came together, that's before any lovemaking, okay? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Really quickly, Jesus' name, it literally means God saves. That's why it says there in verse, what is it, verse 21, for he, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save Uh, Yeah, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, referring back to one of those prophecies, right? Hundreds of years prior, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to son. That's a miracle. And he had called his name Jesus. Okay. What Matthew is saying here is that Jesus is the promised one. He's the descendant from Abraham and David. He's the one born of a virgin. He's saying, guys, finally the Messiah is here. Like he's here. Jesus is the one that we've all been waiting for. It's, It's Jesus. He's here. Uh, Herrick talked about it earlier already. Like, Dylan's home. You guys know Dylan Victoria. Dylan was, he was on deployment for the past several months, right? Victoria's ready to have baby number three. It's Christmas time. Like, like we weren't totally sure when he was going to come back. But one of the things that our gospel community had been praying for was like, God, we want Dylan to come back before baby. And we want Dylan to come back before Christmas. And it's beautiful. Like, he's here. Like, it's beautiful. He is here. He came home last week, right? And we celebrated. It was great. Our gospel community got together. We had some killer steaks. Um, If you were there, you know. uh, It was a fantastic meal. But it was cool. We got to celebrate. He's finally here. Um, Do you guys ever watch those videos on YouTube of like uh, military families and their homecomings and they surprise them, you know? Like, They wreck me every single time. Um, And I'm going to ruin your morning right now because we're going to play one. I want you to watch this. Just bear with me. People are waiting. And he's finally here. Go ahead. Throw it, guys. (laughs) Every time, man. I'm not joking. I like watched. I've watched that video like ten times, and without fail, I can't. There's a lump in my throat every time. The people of God waited, and they waited. And On the very first page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, God says, "The Messiah. He's He's finally here." Like, why do those videos make us cry? Like we don't even know those people. We don't even know them. I think those videos make us cry because deep down inside, at the very core of our being, we know that something is missing. Something isn't with us that should be with us. We're waiting. Like at a soul level, we're longing for the embrace of someone who can make everything okay again. I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have the Jesus Storybook Bible, you should get it. But the Jesus Storybook Bible says, it says someone who can make everything sad come untrue. Friends, Jesus. Jesus is the one that we've all been waiting for. He's the only one who can actually fix the brokenness that we all experience. He's the only one who can crush Satan's head under his foot. Christmas means he's finally here. The promised one who can make everything sad come untrue. I'll close with this. I'll call the band up. One of, if not the most comforting thing about the Christmas season, about Christmas in general, is that Christmas, stay with me, Christmas is this powerful reminder that no matter what, God keeps his promises. Even if things don't look the way that we think they should look, even if things seem out of control, even if things seem too far gone, Christmas, it's this powerful reminder that no matter what, God keeps his promises. So here's my question for you. Like, are you familiar with the promises of God? Like, do you know what they are? There's over 500 of them. 500 promises of God in the Bible. He says he'll never leave you or forsake you. Like, think about that for just a second. Under no circumstances will he leave you or forsake you. His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love is like faithful love. It says if you're in Christ, nothing will ever separate you from his love. Like when it says nothing, I think God's serious. Nothing. But do you know what else the Bible promises? Do you know what else God promises in the Bible? God promises that he's coming back. And next time he's gonna deal with sin once and for all. The decisive blow. You ever played like Street Fighter? That last hit and the guy's like, it turns into slow motion. You know what I'm talking about, Robbie. Like the audio thing and then just... Like once and for all, man. He promises he's coming back to finally destroy sin, Satan, and death. And in order, listen to me, in order to do that without destroying us in the process, God became a baby. Okay? And he lived the perfect life in your place that you and I never could. And then he died the death that all of us deserve for the ways that we reject and sin, reject God and sin against him. He did that in our place so that we could be delivered from when evil and Satan are destroyed. Do you see that? People ask, like, oh, why did did God just not come once and handle everything? Because I'd be destroyed. (laughs) Because I'm so sinful, I'm so broken. But God in his loving kindness came once to make a way for me not to be destroyed when he judges sin and evil. Guys, Christmas means that God came to deliver you. Because he loves you. I don't know if you know this, but like you can't earn being rescued. You can receive it or you can reject it. So here's my appeal to you pastorally. Please don't let like busyness or pain and suffering or the effects of sin keep you from the joy of Christmas. The joy of knowing that God came for you to save you, to rescue you, to deliver you and that he promises that he's coming again. He's coming again to make everything sad come untrue once and for all. And if Christmas tells us anything, it tells us that God always keeps his promises. It's who he is. Will you stand if you're able? I'm gonna pray for us. Listen for just a second, then I'll pray, okay? Thank you for the ways that you um, consistently pull us back. Thank you for, um, thank you that no, matter, that no matter what your grace, um, your grace is the loudest thing that reverberates through all of creation. We, we live in a world, in a city, even in a household that is broken. We contribute to that brokenness regularly ourselves. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. But I thank you that your grace and your love and your mercy, you came, Jesus. You keep your promises, God. There has never been and there never will be a promise that you've made that you will not keep. I pray that that would bring each of us hope in this season. I pray that it would bring us joy as we investigate the ways that you've promised the most beautiful thing in the world to us. You promised us yourself. So my prayer for each of us in this room is that we would be men and women who boldly receive. (laughs) Like we would be, like that our lives would be marked as people who are like i'm just i receive like it's part of it's part of what i do it's part of who i am i'm a recipient of the grace and the mercy and the love of almighty god he rescued me he kept his promises his love it never fails me and jesus coming as a baby is proof I also pray that you'd help us to trust you, God. Help us to know that you are incarnational. That means you meet us where we're at. You meet us in our busyness. You meet us in our pain and our suffering. And you meet us in that place to help us understand that you are working. You're actively doing something about the brokenness in this place. And you're coming again. You're coming again to make sure that things will be forever taken care of. And I love that you graciously deliver us from that. I pray joy over this, over this people. I pray joy over our church. I pray joy over our city. I pray joy over our nation. And not a joy that's temporary, but a joy that's eternal. That's ushered in by the promised one. We love you, Jesus. Minister to us, Holy Spirit. Amen.